Hello and welcome to the Super 90s Brothers. I am your host, Brennan Pointer. Along with me is Adam J. Pitzler. How's it going, buddy? Do I look like a bitch? <laughs> I'm not going to respond to that. Good, man. Well, fine. Don't tell me. <laughs> so what? You think I do? <laughs> if you asked me that, I'd be like, no, you're fine. But no, you're you just leave it ambiguous. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, good to be talking with you on a 3.20 in the afternoon on this fine Thursday. Yes, it's, it is. It's a, it's a nice, you know, day. It's raining here in Spokane. <laughs> I'm done. I'm not doing weather anymore. <laughs> it's, kind <laughs> of our, it's kind of our shtick now. It, um, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's Thursday. It's almost Friday. And, well, you know what that means? The weekend's almost here. All right. Woo-woo. But since, I feel sorry for those. Go ahead. I feel sorry for those poor bastards that have to work weekends. Yeah, I do. I mean, you, you ever like go into like a you go into like a restaurant, or you go into like the you know the local grocery the grocery store, and they're like, "Oh, how's it going?" They're like, "Oh, it's it's my Friday," and like their Friday is like on a Tuesday, so yeah. that means like their Saturday and Sunday are on a Wednesday and Thursday. I'm like, well, that's kind of boring. Nobody's doing anything on those days. So not only is it boring, but it's like a dumb thing to tell people that aren't your friend. Like, I don't, no one cares what your work schedule is. I don't know. I, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I'm, yeah, like if you're, yeah, you're not my friend. Like, well, especially I hate when I go to a grocery store, I hate it when like the, the clerk tries to make, like make small talk with you. Like I really, oh, yeah. I really do not want to talk to you right now. Like, I just want to get my groceries. I want to buy whatever I'm buying. I want to leave like I don't want to have like some I don't want you to have some anecdotes to tell me about like how your day's going or what's going on with you no I I totally agree but I worry that they train those people to do that because all those Gabby grocery store moms and grandmas that are in there every Tuesday or whatever and they're, they're always like chatting up a storm and they have these little relationships you know what else is annoying like when you're it's your turn at like a cashier or something like that. And they start talking to the person behind you because they know them because they're in there all the time. And it like elongates your process. It's like, lady, she's about to come up to where I am and you can talk with her then and I'll be gone and it won't affect me. But no, you can't wait literally the minute to finish the task ahead of you because I don't care what you're saying. I just want to leave. Like I want our transaction to be finished. Then you could talk to your heart's content to this person behind me. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so true. But my beef in the grocery store line is the old lady who takes out an effing checkbook. Like, seriously. Like, how, like, checkbooks, how are those still a thing? Like, how, how do, like, people still, how do grocery stores still accept those? Uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I feel like most of them are, most of them are pretty good. Most of them have their check ready. And I don't think, I don't think most of them, I don't think it takes much more time than having it read your chip and all that anyway. Or getting cash back. My pet peeve is the moms that have like a full cart and they're going through the self the self scan checkout <laughs> lane and they're trying to find the pro. It's like, lady, this is for pathetic men like me that have like six things. Like, why are you clogging this up? Like, go get a damn cashier that can like punch in all those like produce numbers for you. You don't know what you're doing and you're you're costing yourself more time. Whose grand idea was it for you to get in this line? It's it's worse for everyone. <laughs> I, I I absolutely agree with you, uh, but um, okay. Well, enough grocery store mom mess. <laughs> um, so, Brennan, what are we talking about today? Uh, today we're talking about 
Pulp Fiction, but but first off, I want. Oh! <laughs> but first off, I want to thank Tim Simmons. Uh, he emailed us, um, you know, a couple of shows ago. Um, mostly, I think he wanted the Amazon gift card, and he also he also asked if we'd be if we had if we were ever going to be doing Pulp Fiction, and I was like, yeah, well, like Quentin Tarantino was humongous in the '90s, so but like, yeah, we can totally ship. Why not? So that's what we're doing today. Yeah. So. So this one's for you, Tim Simmons, and one day we may ask you for a favor. You know, T- Tim Simmons emailed me and said, it's, I think we kept on calling him Timothy, and he's like, you can just call me Tim, and I was like... Yeah, nobody, nobody goes by Timothy well, that's over the know age what? of 10. His email says Timothy, so... It, that's true. Like, you know... But, but we should have assumed that no grown man wants to be called Timothy. That's true. But have you have you ever known an adult that ref, that went by Timothy? That was well, no. I, this isn't. Do you, I, I, <laughs> I remember our friend Tim um, that you were that that lived here in Spokane, and we used to call M- him MC eighty three. And we can't we can't say why. <laughs> um, so no, he's still on my Facebook. But anyway. You know, yeah, he's still. I'm still friends with him on Facebook too. Yeah, so he got divorced, and did you know his new girl, his new girlfriend? I'm not sure if they're married or not yet. His new girlfriend is like Doctor Kavorkian's niece. Really, Doctor? I did not yeah, know Dr. that. Doctor Death. Yeah, he's dating Doctor <laughs> Death's niece. Is her last name Kavorkian as well? It was, unless she's a hill now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it was a Kavorkian. That's... That was like the first thing I said. I was like. You know that's Dr. Death's name. He's like, yeah, that's her niece. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> that's funny. So if you ever need a maybe a discount on a euthanasia discount, you know, you know, hit up Tim Hill. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, absolutely. Tim, long time no talk. Listen, my uncle's not doing so good. <laughs> <laughs> Is there like um, a friends and family rate we can work out? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, well, oh. thank you, Tim Simmons, for emailing us and recommending this show. And as always... Email us, ask us questions, give us feedback at uh, super90sbrothers at gmail.com. Super90sbrothers is all spelled out. Um, also, find us on Facebook um, and Twitter. Um, we're there, too. And I'm not going to give you the handle right now because it's just, it's just too confusing to, to say on here. The, the point is, if you want to talk to the show, Google Super90sbros, and you can find us on one of those. Interact with us. You could get your favorite movie or TV show reviewed by Super90sbrothers, just like Tim Simmons That's right. Did. So let's uh let's start. Let's start with uh let's start with pulp fiction. So what you you probably are the you're the film uh, the film I was I'm aficionado 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 aficionado. So why don't you were you going to say I was going to call yeah, I was going to say aficionado. I don't know why. Um because I can't talk. Tell me what's this movie about, Adam? <laughs> What is this movie about? Uh, that's a that's a hell of a question. It's about two gangsters, a boxer and a gangster's wife, and they and I guess the mob boss Ving Rhames, and uh, how they're the few days in their lives and how they interweave. And it's um, it I wouldn't say grand moral in Pulp Fiction unless you want to delve deep into Samuel L. Jackson's ending. But for the most part, th- this is this is a fun fictional movie which is why it's called pulp fiction 
about stuff happening in contemporary LA. This is in the nineties about people that you wouldn't normally associate with. And that may not sound like much, but like most things, it's all in the execution. So Pulp Fiction is, is really a story about people and, and the lives they lead and the people they kill and the brains they have to clean up in the backseat of a car before Bonnie comes home. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a weird movie. Let's, can, we be, can we agree on that? It's, it's a weird movie. But it's a, people it's love a very it. weird movie. Yeah, no, it's, um, I would it's say it's, weird. it's very weird. I would probably say, I, don't, I would, I would, I would venture to say that Pulp Fiction is probably the most well-known of Quentin Tarantino's movies. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it got most, it got the majority of Oscar of his career's Oscar love. You know, there, he got some for that um, World War II movie, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, but yeah. Pulp, Pulp Fiction was sort of like his coming out party. Like film buffs and young guys, we loved Reservoir Dogs, and we were all on that. But this came out just shortly after that, and this was sort of like the world's introduction to Quentin Tarantino. And they're like, whoa, this guy is doing it completely differently. And I think that's what so many people, including myself when I was younger, loved about it, is that it wasn't the same old crap you were always seeing. Um, that's not to say that the old crap isn't good, but it was just something new. And it wasn't – it was so stylized, you know? And, and w- that's one of our show sheet comments is about how, like, unique the style is. Pulp Fiction has a nonlinear story. And then almost no movies have nonlinear stories. Nonlinear means, you know, a typical plot goes A, B, C, D in sequence. This one is like D, B, A, C, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The way that, the way that it flows. And – to be honest, I don't know if it would have been all that different of a movie if it had flowed sequentially, but this allowed Tarantino to kind of play with the audience a little bit and it kind of set you up for, for things that you'd never seen. For, for example, um, what's his face? John Travolta dies in one section of the movie, and you think, oh, that's the end of John Travolta. But then, since it goes back in time for like the back quarter of the movie, bam, he's back alive again. That That's... That's very odd. That's very strange. You don't do that in filmmaking much. And But Quentin Tarantino did it, and for whatever reason, in this movie, it worked. I wouldn't say it works in every movie, but it worked in this movie. And there have been many that have tried to emulate this sort of style with his dialogue and the nonlinear and all that. And most of them just suck. Most of them can't do it, or they just, they just seem like loser Tarantino fanboys instead of their own original talent. And that's what people liked about Tarantino was he's just kind of this film store geek that loved like action movies and, you know, Sonny Chiba, you know, old Kung Fu movies and things like that. And, and he loved like seventies black exploitation. And he had a very specific style of movie that he was drawn to. And he, he wrote those themes into his own modern contemporary movies and weaved in contemporary themes and to boot put behind it some really good, like, cinematography and screenwriting that the world hadn't seen that combination of things before. And that's why it works so well, in my opinion, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would very much like me, everything you're saying. I, I mean, this is 94 at the time I'm like 10 years old. So like, um, I don't, I, my exposure to the movie wasn't really, I, I don't know how exposed. So when did, yeah. when did you first see it? You know, probably I probably didn't see Pulp Fiction until late '90s, maybe like '99, when I was like in getting into high school and starting to really get into, you know, mo- like m- more indie movies. Um, like I definitely knew about Pulp Fiction. 
you know, funny, really, really, really funny story. And I'll probably tell the story again someday when we, when we do Reservoir Dogs. Um, but I saw Reservoir Dogs like on like VHS in my, in my parents' living room. And I have no idea what my parents were thinking, but like, I like laid on the floor in my like living room and watched like Reservoir Dogs. And I was like, (laughs) but, and then I never, and I don't think I ever finished it. And I think my dad probably turned it off, but like, I have like vivid memories of like watching Reservoir Dogs, like as like an eight year old. (laughs) And I particularly one scene I remember from being an eight year old and watching was, is a scene where they're like cutting up, uh, stuck in the middle with you scene when they're cutting up. uh, Yeah. um, Anyways. So I think your I think I know what your parents were thinking. They were thinking, I want my eight year old to experience some film and culture. Reservoir Dogs is an awesome movie. So you were one lucky eight year old. <laughs> yes, me. I didn't see it till I was like ten or eleven. <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, Pulp Fiction. I probably didn't see till later in life. I probably didn't actually watch it all the way through until like early two thousands with with my wife. Like we probably like you know we hadn't ever watched it all the way through. So we're like let's and I'd bought it on DVD. So I we like we watched it all the way through and I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. It's, it's a really, it's a long movie. It, I mean, it's two and a half hours. It's a, it's a little long. That's one of my few criticisms of the movie. It's a little, and there's long. a lot of dialogue. And so like that can really make a movie even longer. Um, yeah, there is, but I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what the movie is. It's about yeah, these people. Abs- well, anyway, so you want to, when I first saw it? Yes, I do. I was 10 years old. I first saw it as soon as it came out to video, probably like the first two weeks it was released. I was at my, I was at my stepmom's apartment in Tumwater, Washington with my dad and my dad and my stepmom rented it and they, they didn't know much about it. You know what I mean? They weren't like super film people. They didn't, they didn't read reviews. They didn't know what was in it, but they rented it and agreed to let me watch it. It was like 10 o'clock at night and there was some discussion of whether or not Adam should be allowed to watch this. But I think I mentioned this a few times on the show that I was always watching rated R adult movies. And I was like, yeah, what's the big deal? I always watch movies with you guys. Who cares? You know, it's just a movie. And they're like, all right, we'll let them watch it. And uh, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking either. <laughs> Ten years old. <laughs> Ten years old, I saw this movie in all its entirety. This movie is is very dark at times. Very dark, very adult, very graphic, which we'll get to at some parts. But I saw it as a 10-year-old. I thought it was a very strange movie. I thought it was weird, and there was all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, I remember there was, like, Oscar talk about John Travolta at the time. I remember when we – who cares about John Travolta? This black guy is awesome. And we're talking about Samuel L. Jackson, of course, who wasn't really a household name at that point. We're like, this guy's way better than John Travolta. And to this day, we're totally right about that. Samuel L. Jackson's way more fun than John Travolta in that movie. John Travolta just seems kind of stoned in that movie. I don't get what – so why, why do people like his performance so much? I don't I, get it. I know why people like his performance so much. Like, it's one of the things, like, it's one of my, like, notes that I've been, I want to, like, it's like, fiction was, like, kind of a, a comeback film for John Travolta. Like, John Travolta was, he was, a, like, in the, I mean, he was in Greece. He was in Look Who's Talking. He was, look, he was in all these, like, like, if you look at his, like, 80s, um, well, if you look at a lot of it, like, the movies that he was doing, like, in the, you know, the, he went, who was in Greece, and then he, he had kind of like, and then he went and did Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking 2, and he just kind of was doing really bad movies. He, and then he did Look Who's Talking Now in 1993, 
and he was just doing really just not doing very well. Like I think he had kind of be like he was still John Travolta, but he was just like I don't know, kind of like really like doing like a lot of kitty stuff. Um, and then Denis look who's Den- talking. Look who's talking is a good movie. The sequels were shit, but the first one was good. Okay, but you know it's just. I don't, I don't, but anyways, <laughs> I I remember there being a lot of talk about this, like kind of being his like comeback film, more grittier, and then he started doing more kind of gritty films, more action films. Like after Pulp Fiction, he did Get Short. No, I get it. It was out. Uh, of, you know, I get yeah. it. It was out of type for him. It was out of type. It was very much out of type for him. Like John Travolta well, was like the was like a, a humongous Hollywood star in the in the eighties, and and so. And, and here he's like playing like a, a gangster who's like shooting people. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. And well, like, there, and like what John Travolta does in the movie is like, like, <laughs> like he's like he's shooting up heroin. He's like taking like a depot pin and like stabbing it in like someone's heart. You know, like there's so much that's going on in this in this film with that just, he does. <laughs> just any other Tuesday for a day in L.A. Um. Oh. All right. Well, fine. I don't. I. Never saw that. Uh, I never. I never realized that that was why. Is that I get that it was out of type, and I get that it was kind of his comeback. But I still just don't think his character is all that interesting in this movie. I don't know why everyone likes it so much. I think he's maybe the worst character of like the main five. Just my opinion. I will say this. I mean, like when we're talking about characters in the film, like the, I think the most underrated character, and no one ever talks about, is Bruce Willis. Obviously, like it, I mean. I think Bruce Willis. You don't is... talk to me. You don't talk to me about this movie. I think he's like the the funnest character in the movie. I just maybe it's just me. I, I think we. I don't know if I already mentioned this. Like, I've so I've watched Pulp Fiction through like maybe this just a handful of times. Like once I know I've watched it once through, and then I've watched it a couple other times through. I don't really remember it, but like, but then like I'll like put in the movie every once in a while, and I'll watch the first thirty minutes. And ever like net all you get in the first thirty minutes is John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. Like I don't, I never make it to the Bruce Willis part of the movie, so I always kind of forget he's even in the movie. <laughs> hmm. Well, I've seen it much more than that. I I was a, totally a Tarantino junkie when I was in high school, um, and this was you know I was studying him, and so I, I certainly saw this movie m- my share of times. Um, so what's your favorite or what's your favorite thing about this movie or the most appealing part of this movie? Like what, what makes you like it? What makes you rewatch it? Um, well, like I said, I haven't, I haven't rewatched it recently, but I, I totally plan on plan on it. I mean, I was trying to watch it in the buildup for this, but like there, it, it isn't streaming anywhere right now. So it's really hard to find. So you got to buy it and I don't have my DVDs anymore, so I can't watch it at home. Oh, it happened to be on TV randomly about a week ago. So I, I caught about the back hour of it. So I watched about the last hour of it on an edited for TV uh, basis. And I'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. And, I think and the, what's the, what's the most rewatchable thing about it is now is being able to really watch Tarantino like at like at his best. Like, I mean, the stuff that he's been doing lately, like it's all just kind of like I, I have, I like Inglorious bastards was like his last movie that I really, really enjoyed. Like I haven't even watched hateful eight yet. And then, and then Django on like unchained, like is it even called that? Um, 
I just like I thought it was just like a move. Like it was just like he was just trying to go for, like he was just really, really, really trying to like get people like to be uncomfortable in that movie. Um, and I just didn't. I mean, I liked it, but it was just it was just more popcorn. It wasn't very like it wasn't very Tarantino esque. So I feel like going back and watching Pulp Fiction is like this is like this is like Quentin Tarantino and is like hate it. This is like at his peak. Like this movie is pretty. I would say is peak. I I'm not a huge Kill Bill fan either. So, but anyways, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly with you. Um, I haven't seen Django or The Hateful Eight for the same reasons that you mentioned. I, I, I am not interested in these like Passion of the Christ, slavery, Schindler's List. Like there, there's just some topics that I don't. I don't think watching for two to two and a half hours sounds like a good time. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's, to me, there's no, like, no part of me that says, well, you know what would be a good thing to do tonight? Let's watch Schindler's List. Let's watch Django Unchained. I think I'd really en- I'd have enjoy myself. Like, that never, that never crosses my mind. Not once. And it, you could be damn sure it never crosses my wife's mind. So we never do it. But this movie's not like that. So, you know, it's... What, you Sorry. know what? Let's skip ahead a little bit. Who's your? Fa- That's all right. Who, who who's your favorite character in this film? Is it Butch, the boxer? Is it? I mean, no, it isn't. I mean, like I, I, it, I would say my favorite character in this. I don't know. I mean, it's between. I really like Samuel L. Jackson just because of what this movie kind of made him. Like, we wouldn't like. The world wouldn't have Samuel L. Jackson without Pulp Fiction. Like, I mean, I know he had, like, he played a similar character in, like, True Romance. Um, uh, he was barely but, in that, dude. He was barely but yeah, in Yeah, but, like, but that was, but True, it was True Romance before Pulp Fiction? Yes, True, and True Romance, so, Quentin Turnio didn't direct True Romance. Right, right. No, he wrote it. But, and so, but... Samuel Jackson, that was his, like, his first, like, his first part, that, like, kind of big Hollywood part was in that movie, and it led, well, in, I feel like it led to this. Well, he was in Jurassic what, Park. Go ahead. He was in Jurassic Park. Oh, also, also 94. That was 94, though. That was, so, that was 93, but. That was 93, okay. So, like, it, yeah, so Samuel Jackson came out with all these, like, he was, yeah, Jurassic Park, but, like, that was still, yeah, I mean, anyways, this movie made Samuel L. Jackson. This, anytime there's a movie that Samuel Jackson's in, he has to say motherfucker. Like he has like that. That's what's in his contract in his. Yeah. Like Christopher Walken has to like dance in every movie. Samuel L. Jackson has to say motherfucker in every, in every movie. <laughs> so I'm cool with it. Um, but yeah, like that, that, that's just his bit. And the, it all started here in Pulp Fiction. And my favorite scene in the entire movie is the scene about the big kahuna burger. And, like him talking to like the the potheads or in the in when they're yeah I'm trying to get, you know that's that is a tasty burger so yeah like that I mean that's that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie and I, I he's probably my favorite character okay so Samuel Jackson took a long white time for you to say that <laughs> Sam Sorry. Jackson is your favorite character because you like Big Kahuna scene and and everything that he does that's great. My favorite character is Butch, uh, the boxer. I think his, 
I, I like brooding characters. I like guys that have like uh like a darkness behind them. And I thought I thought Butch had this sort of a like solemn demeanor, you know, that he you know, he's a boxer, so he's like kind of a badass, but you could tell he had like this these really dark dark clouds behind his eyes, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you you sort of learn about that a little bit with that weird dream sequence with Christopher Walken where he sticks the watch up his ass. And then <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that and he was in this you, movie. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, he, he, that's the only scene he's in. And then um, Butch's see, Butch's story is is the most memorable for good and bad reasons. But Butch's little, you know, his story where he wakes up with like uh, the girlfriend and she forgets the watch and he freaks out and he has to go back to his apartment and then you know uh, John Travolta is there and he kills him with that gun and then he's like leaving and he runs into Ving Rhames and he runs him over and then they get stuck in the pawn shop and those fucking creepers are there and you guys know what happens after that like that to me that is the most creative storyline all of the storylines are good and creative but that one especially so that's why I go with Butch and um and that's also my favorite side story I I would say the movie's two and a half hours long and we mentioned this I when I rewatch it I don't really feel like the Uma Thurman side story is necessary. Like, I don't, I'm not sure what we're getting out of that. Like personally where, you know, he like takes her dancing and then she ODs. Like, it's interesting. It's different, but I don't, I don't feel like that story adds to the movie the way the others build on top of each other. If that makes sense. Right. Well, do you know the, you know, you've read the backstory on like Pulp Fiction, like what it, like how like originated, right? Tell our listeners. So, um, so the movie was it, Quentin Tarantino and his the other film the other film writer. A lot of people forget was Roger Avery, and they they I'm probably I'm screwing this up because I was reading it earlier. But uh, they it was they were going to do like they were going to make a short, and it was going to be there was going to be one like I think the Butch the Butch part of the story was going to be a short and they were going to, you know, sell this kind of like movie as a short, but like they realized like, Oh, we can't, we can't make a short. Nobody's making shorts. And so, um, and also Pulp Fiction was like before Reservoir Dogs, like they were writing it before Reservoir Dogs. Um, and then they kind of took two stories and like combined them basically. Um, this is how I understand it. Um, and so the Quintino had his side, had his little piece of it. And then, um, and then Roger Avery had his piece of it and they kind of like just intertwined them. Um, kind of, I mean, kind of like Grindhouse. Like it's kind of like a Grindhouse uh, movie in that like it is basically two films in one, but they, instead of like Grindhouse and um, what are the, uh, Planet Terror and whatever the other one's called, like how they don't come together. Death like, Proof. Death Proof. Death Proof. Thank you. Uh, they don't come together in the movie, but like this one does come together in the movie by uh, with Vincent Vega, kind of. So okay, so that makes some sense. Um, do you do you think the movie's rewatchable? Oh, absolutely! It's absolutely rewatchable. It's but you haven't really rewatched well, I, it. I I don't rewatch films. I mean, like unless it's like. Well then, how? Who are you to say if it's rewatchable? <laughs> well, I've definitely I've rewatched scenes of it. Like I would say, like you know, the one that I, I didn't ask if I scenes were rewatchable. It's a re- said, movie, the movie rewatchable. Two and a half hours. Okay, maybe not. I, I really like going. I like I've gone back and watched pieces of the film, like like 
the dance, like the like the scene where uh, Vincent and um, can't think of her name right now. Um, they uh, Uma Thurman. They go to the dance part. I've watched rewatched that scene. I've rewatched obviously what I told you earlier. Um, I've re- I've rewatched the like the first scene, like in in the in the final scene, like how that this to kind of see how it all pieces together. Like back probably when I was like really interested in like the movie, I like probably went and watched all those scenes just so I can because they don't because the the movie itself like is if you watch it in order is very it's not different it's just I, I don't know it's just the the diner how like the how the diner and the the Indian diner scene like connect to each other is like I think is amazing but I don't know if it really makes it rewatchable but yeah there's there's definitely some editing that could be done to make it a much more enjoyable film if yeah i i'm gonna say it's not that rewatchable and I, I have rewatched it a few times and i every time i watch it i'm less interested in it i and i feel like it drags like at parts and there are there are parts where i just feel more really gratuitous and i know that's kind of tarantino's thing but i mean the one scene in particular which we'll get to obviously is just too much for most people and who could blame them and there are several other scenes just the dialogue can be i mean Tarantino has this tendency to just go on these tangents about nothing. And some people love that. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The first time you watch it, like the first time you watch it, like they're talking about what people in Holland put on their French fries, like mayonnaise, that's gross. Those little anecdotes are kind of fun. But the second, third time you're, you're sitting through these long drawn out scenes where they're really not talking about anything related to the plot. It's just, I don't know. It, it doesn't do it for me personally. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually on the non rewatchable train, even though I have rewatched it. For those reasons, I think it's funny that you like you started the you started this like with like being like really for Pulp Fiction like and now like you're like not for it anymore. You made you made well, it me, sound <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me clarify my position. It's a very good movie. I really respect it. I love parts of it, but as a whole, I think it's kind of overrated. To be honest, as a whole, I think it gets. I think Tarantino in general is overrated. Like I, I feel like he gets. So much love from all these idiots that aren't really movie people that just love him for silly reasons. Like, they, like silly reasons. Seriously. And I don't know why, but over the... And part of it is his career trajectory. Like, if, if he had gone Kurt Cobain and he had died after Pulp Fiction, who knows? I may revere uh, Quentin Tarantino. But because of his career, career trajectory and, and the piles of shit, frankly, that he's produced... Like Death Proof, which I think is the all-time worst Tarantino movie, like, ever. It's seriously like an hour and a half of girls talking and shots of their feet, culminating to, like, a five-minute action sequence at the end, which is, like, this silly girl power bullshit. Like, I, Death Proof, to me, was... I, I like, fell off my chair how bad it was when I saw it in the theater. I was, like, so disappointed. Especially because it had just come after watching Robert Rodriguez's, you know version of the grindhouse whatever it was planet terror which is so fun and so awesome and i i immediately started thinking you know robert rodriguez is actually way better than tarantino and when i go back and i rewatch um um from dust till dong i think wow this is a good script but it was greatly directed like robert rodriguez made this movie and then i go back and watch true romance and it's so much better than so much stuff that tarantino directed because he didn't direct it so in short, I think Tarantino is a better writer than he is a director. Okay, that, I, I feel like that's what you're getting to. I mean, yeah, he is a much better. He is a much better. I would say I would say the same thing, but I don't know. I mean, I've enjoy, I enjoy Tarantino's films. I just like I don't get the hype. So, I mean, I mean, 
everyone get every, like recently like especially in like we the, are the 2000 we are crushing we're crushing tim simmons dreams right now sorry Ted. <laughs> i mean i think people hate like any movie that comes out by like quentin tarantino it, like nowadays like everyone's kind of like hanging on like oh when's the next quentin tarantino movie coming out because they're all trying to like relive yeah. the glory days of when of like pulp fiction and reservoir dogs and like we just we aren't gonna get it and now and now everyone like yeah go I, ahead yeah I was going to say, I don't know anybody whose, like, film taste that I respect. The people whose film taste I don't like, they're the ones always talking about Hateful Eight, by the way. <laughs> and Kill Bill Volume 3. And all this other shit coming up. And it's like, the people whose film taste that I agree with and respect and, and tend to think like, they don't like Tarantino. And I'm not saying that he hasn't done good stuff, because Reservoir Dogs is maybe my all-time favorite movie. He certainly has. But he's done a lot of crap, too. Yeah, and but now, like, everyone's like, like, because now, like, there's this whole thing about, like, oh, all the Pulp Fiction movies, Pulp Fiction movies, all of, like, Quentin Tarantino's movies are all connected in, like, this universe, in this, you know, Tarantino-verse. Um, yeah, that's such a dumb thing to think. I'm, I'm telling you, a writer has very limited ideas, and no, no writer has this bounty of good ideas forever and ever and ever. So you play on the same themes again and again and again. You play on what works. I mean, Vincent Vega is like a ripoff of his Reservoir Dogs character, Vic Vega. It's just a ripoff. This bullshit that, oh, they're brothers and this and that. That's all stuff that he came up with after the fact. He he had a cool name. He had an alliteration-sounding cool name of Vic Vega, which he couldn't directly steal, so he changed it to Vincent Vega. That's all that happened. <laughs> That's all writers do. It's not, there's, not, there's no magic sauce. You know what I mean? Right. Let's, going away from, you know, as a rewatchable, the unique style, we talk about the nonlinear story dialogue uh content like is there anything else you wanted to touch on about the unique style of you know pulp fiction no we we talked about it um yeah. i would i would say that um before we get to the the next thing we should talk about the most memorable part of the movie um and i i think <laughs> i mean this is this is sort of our generation's deliverance if you ask me like <laughs> like people 20 years older than us They'll talk about that scene in Deliverance, and you guys know the scene I'm talking about, as this sort of shocking, I can't believe they showed that in a movie. I can't believe a movie had the balls or guts or guile to do that. Like, Pulp Fiction does that, and they do it even worse. And as a 10-year-old boy, watching this movie in my stepmom's living room and seeing that scene where Ving Rhames is getting the business from Zed in the basement of that pawn shop, I remember thinking, I knew what they were doing, but I remember thinking, wait a minute, people, this happens? People do that? Like, it, it was such a foreign concept to me. And I remember being, like, utterly appalled by just, like, seeing the visual of it. It was, like, it was too much for my brain to take in. And nowadays, when I see it, it's even worse. Because when I was, like, 10, at least I didn't fully understand. Now when I see it, it's like, oh, my God. I, I, I don't mind that he that he wants to do that in this film. I just don't get why they have to show it. <laughs> to me, it's just, like, it's... It's like the Saw thing, you know, it's, it's like they're trying to gross you out or get some sort of visceral reaction out of you. It's not, like, particularly artistic, if you ask me. It's just, like, I'm going to shock people by showing some dude get butt-raped. <laughs> I, yeah, I I've, I think I've watched that scene... Again. One, again. I think, I, I think on, I've watched it's that... On, it's on loop. I think I, it's on loop on Brennan's screensaver. <laughs> I've watched that scene once uh, when I originally watched it. I'm pretty sure I skipped over it every time since um so i because i just don't want to 
watch it. Like it's just, yeah, it's just way too. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's just Quentin Tarantino being gratuitous for no reason other than the fact that he thinks it's probably hilarious. Like he thinks butt rape is hilarious. butt rape. Is well, hilarious. I don't know if he thinks. It's, I mean, he he has a really weird sense of humor. Like the you know the gratuitous stuff that he always puts in like you know movies. Like is always it's always like you know the scenes in like Kill Bill, like gratuitous like blood, very like the scene where like is the animated scene where they're like, like beating up Uma Thurman. Like they're, it's just like, it's just like very gratuitous. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, all right. So what do you think the best like line is or the most quotable thing? Is it the, that is a tasty burger for you. Yeah, which is that would, it, that's probably it for me. Like I, like as we've talked about this multiple times and, not, and a lot of things, I don't ever remember. I'm not, I'm not very quotable. I don't remember quotes very well. So like, I, that would probably be it for me. But like, there there is. I mean, there's a lot of quotable stuff in here. Like, what what is it for you? Um, it's probably. I mean, the most memorable is is um Samuel Jackson's little like uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen speech because you hear it a few times in the movie. So it's a little right. che- it's a little cheap because you know you've they get a few chances for it to stick in your head literally. Whereas most of them you just hear one. Um. There's other parts of the movie that I think are better, like uh, when when Mia overdoses and um, he takes her to Eric Stoltz's house and uh, the line is like, um, um, oh, I don't remember, but th- th- there, are lines, there are lines in other parts of the movie that I think are, are a little more clever. Oh, you know, Mia, so, oh, here it is. So they, they puncture, they do the, shot of adrenaline in Uma Thurman's chest and she sits up and they go, say something. And she goes, something. I thought that was, I don't know, really funny. Like she just woke <laughs> up from, from like, like a drug overdose. She's like something. <laughs> and uh, Zed's dead, baby. Zed is dead. It's probably the one I say the most, which people don't get. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole movie's got a lot of good quotes, especially from Samuel L. Jackson, who's just got a bunch of great dialogue and he's, he just says them so well. I like most of what he says is, is memorable. And, uh, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. Um, one thing we haven't talked about, I don't know if, it, if it's even something you want to talk about because I don't think, cause you don't even, you don't care about the Tarantino verse, but <laughs> what do you think is in the briefcase? Like we talk about themes in this, but it's like the most, like, if you go on, if you go on Pulp Fiction, you type in like what's in the briefcase. Like there's like n- not millions, but there's a ton of like theories of like, what's in the briefcase like quentin tarantino's never came out and exactly said what was in the briefcase when like samuel jackson open or is it Sam, not samuel jackson but um when um john travolta is it john travolta who opens it like or anytime it's open it like it glows and and the th- and there's like a lot of theories like do you know one of the theories can off the top of your head? I, do, I don't. I, I never got too deep in this. I always just thought it was gold because of the the golden glow. I thought it was like bars of gold or something like that. Some artifact made of gold. Something really valuable, obviously. But I, mean, um, that's, I don't know what else it would be. What are some of the fans? There is the, one of the uh, um, one of the th- there is a theory that like that in the briefcase is like it contains the soul of their boss. Uh, Marcellus, like that's like there's um here's some fun fan theories is that uh, yeah it contains 
you know, Marcellus's soul. Um, <laughs> what else is there's a, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's one of them is that it, it contains his soul. I don't, I don't really even know what that means. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't get that. So, but yeah, either. there, that is a, Oh, you know who's not, you know who's an underrated character in this movie is uh, Harvey Keitel is the wolf, the cleaner that shows up at at the Bonnie situation when they shoot the dude in the in mm-hmm. the in the car and they drive him to Bonnie's house and he shows up and he's just barking orders at him like that. The execution of of that scene and the how they do that, I always thought was really fun and enjoyable. Like they accidentally shoot this dude in the back of a car and his brains go all over the place, and so Sam Jackson like calls. His buddy, who is played by Quentin Tarantino, and they like drive this little car that has this black dude's brain splattered all over his car into Tarantino's garage, and Tarantino's all pissed off because you know they brought a dead body. And the the wife gets home in like an hour, and they've got like an hour to like get cleaned up, get the hide the blood, and get out of there. And they don't know what to do, so Harvey Keitel shows up as sort of like a cleaner and helps them get out of it. And just that whole scene, I just that whole sequence I think is just really funny. Like it's really enjoyable. Like putting, like you can't understand what that's like, but everyone's been in a situation, not with a dead body, but with something you had to get done really fast. And you didn't, you know, somebody's coming home and you wanted to clean it. When I was a kid, I spilled like this giant tub of mustard, except I was going to get home. And somehow I got it all cleaned up before anybody got home. And I still don't know how I did it. But, um, so yeah, same thing, you know, blood and guts. Mustard. <laughs> exactly the same. Uh, you know, I guess the other thing we're not really talking about here is how, you know, Quentin, you know, uh, how he started. I, I think I just like made Quentin. Like, I think I just made his like Quentin. combined his name with his last name. Um, I was going to just go with it. Quentin Tino is Quentin a short Tino, name. Um, is, uh, is Tim Roth and uh, Tim Roth's character and uh, Amanda Plummer's character, uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny at the very beginning. Um like, I always thought it was like seeing, like knowing how Reservoir Dogs starts, and then how this movie starts. I, I thought I always thought that was kind of, I always thought it was kind of. I know how that like it all kind of ties together. Like that's the whole point of that that scene. Uh, but how because like Reservoir Dogs all starts at like a, a t- is a table scene, and this is a table scene. Like, what's your opinion on the opening opening scene of Pulp Fiction? I I'm gonna cite what i said earlier that a writer has limited ideas and he wrote a, a coffee scene to open one movie and it did well so he kept it right and i i don't i don't delve deeper than that because i've written scripts and i just don't think it's all that deep well i guess we won't other than that like themes of this movie i think we've you know touched on them all you went into like the satires um well i was just gonna say the movie is so popular it like achieved that level of uh you know pop culture where you you didn't have to specify that you were talking about Pulp Fiction and you could do parodies and satires of Pulp Fiction. And they did. There was a hilarious Simpsons episode where like um, Milhouse has to go to the bathroom and he goes in this pawn shop with the guy with one arm and the one arm guy like kidnaps Chief Wiggum and Milhouse's dad and he has them all ball and gagged in his basement and he's talking about Zed coming to see him and then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then Millhouse like accidentally knocks him out with like a mace and they escape. And um they they do the the dance sequence, like the Tarantino Uma Thurman like weird dance where he does like the triangle thing over his eyes 
with the two fingers. I don't know what the name of the move is, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. Like that, that dance was satired in all kinds of things throughout the years. Uh, very memorably in the movie Spy Hard with Le- Leslie Nielsen, if you like those spoof movies. There was an entire film satire about this movie called Plump Fiction. Tommy Davidson was in it, and that lady from Strip Mall was in it. I can't remember her name. I want to say it was like Julie Moore or something like that. She's kind of this chubby lady. And it was called Plump Fiction. It, was, it wasn't it was that good. And like any any full movie satire, it's hard to be that good because there's really nothing original. It's just the same kind of joke again and again. But I guess my point was just that it was so popular and so well-known to everybody that it, it was like instantly satirical. And that's that's really hard to achieve. Yeah, the only time I, the, the only time I ever really remember it being satired is in uh, Space Jam. <laughs> it was like... Uh, Bugs Bunny and like Daffy Duck like do a scene where they're like they don't do a scene. It's just like it's a nod to Pulp Fiction. That's all. Like they do like a they do like the little dance, right? I don't have to do a dance. No, they do like the. the oh no, they're all dressed up like in tuxes and they've got a gun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're dressed up in tuxes. Oh like, yeah, Vince. There Vince was a, on a on another episode of The Simpsons. There was like they were watching Itchy and Scratchy, and it goes special guest director Quentin Tarantino, and it was like Itchy and Scratchy like doing that dance and then eventually they start like killing each other and then i think at the end itchy's like like i was saying kids don't do drugs like it that's <laughs> really funny like <laughs> had nothing to do with drugs or anything <laughs> anyway um you so you you ran across this on tv was it on like cinemax or something like that it was on like tbs or tnt or something like that no it was on it was on cable so it was okay edited, it was edited for tv and when i turned it on it immediately was like Butch waking up from his Christopher Walken nightmare. And then I watched pretty much the rest of it. I turned it off at some point in the coffee scene at the end before the very, very end. So I had something to do. Okay. But I watched about that hour, which includes the infamous butt rape scene. And it was, <laughs> it was edited for TV. And it, for like the first time in my life, I was watching something that had been edited for TV. And I was thinking, even though the audio doesn't line up with their lips, you know, when they, they change curse words to silly little things to fix it for TV. I, yeah. I more or less really enjoyed the edited for TV version. There's no visuals of the butt raping. There's very little sounds of the butt raping. And some of the more vulgar lines that, you know, some of the, the really gross stuff about women's body parts and things like that, they all, they just drop them. Any other time that I can remember, I was watching the edited for TV version go, now this isn't a bad cut. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have minded seeing this cut <laughs> as the original because there's no butt rape and there's no, you know, <laughs> there's no need to talk to a therapist uh, after you watch this. Like, it's it's just a nor- it's just a, an action movie with crazy stuff going on. So anyway, I was just going to say, for those of you that have been hesitant to watch the movie because of some of the reputation, try watching the edited for TV version. I think you will actually be very pleasantly surprised. But before... Before I forget, I want to say this movie actually has a really awesome soundtrack. Um, if you guys um, are into soundtracks, I have I have the old like CD of this soundtrack. I've had it ever since I was like a freshman in high school. I bought it when I was a freshman in high school. I did one of those like buy seven CDs for a penny, and you'll have to buy ten over the next two years or something. I like did one of those, and like one of the ones I got was the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, and it was maybe my favorite of of the ones I got. And uh, so anyway, really good stuff on that soundtrack. If you guys are interested, um, there was some hits before they were hits even. Um, I think we've kind of, 
there's parts of, so I, I think kind of wrap it up about you know pulp fiction about the movie itself like it it's one of those movies that has like really good parts and i think we've kind of like maybe made it maybe talk bad about it a little bit too much but like it's a really good film for and it really and it really did help help uh catapult the careers of like two movie stars that like we know so well like today like uma thurman and samuel L. jackson like the, those like this movie really you know it, you know uma thurman went on to <laughs> do kill bill obviously and being in a ton of other movies um and samuel jackson is doing capital one commercials now so uh <laughs> so there's that <laughs> and no no you're right you're right We've hated on it a little bit more than maybe we needed to, but yeah, there's a lot of ups and downs in Pulp Fiction. I think that's the best way to say it. There's a lot of ups and downs, which makes for a fun viewing experience. For yes, absolutely, um, and yeah. So, but I mean, other than uh, I don't think I really have anything else to say about it. But uh, well, did you have any other notes? Say, well, no. I would just I would just like to talk about Tarantino just a little bit before we wrap it up. Okay. So, like, if, if what's your favorite Tarantino movie after Reservoir Dogs? Um, I would, I, I mean, my favorite, my favorite movie from him would be Inglorious Bastards after Reservoir Dogs. Um, have you ever rewatched it? Um, I, the, I saw it in the theaters. I've rewatched it a couple times. I, what I, I, I would, I would say like one of my favorite things about the movie is the fact that like Quentin Tarantino didn't like use all of his usual, like, actors in in glorious bastards like he didn't like there's you know brad pitt's in it um christoph waltz is in it who um is really i mean i love christoph waltz he's an amazing actor michael fassbender's in it who's an amazing actor um eli roth eli roth i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh but like diane kruger's in it Dan, this uh young actor um daniel Bruhl's in it who i really like too um, there's just a lot of, and then BJ Novak is in it <laughs> from the office. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking that was a little random, but whatever. Uh, and then there's also, uh, there was also an actor from, uh, freaks and geeks that was in it as well. Which one? Um, it was, it's the, 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 the Jewish kid is in it. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I know the kid you're talking um, about. Sam or, or no, no. Sam Levine. His name's Sam Levine. His, yeah, that's yeah. His, and also Mike Myers is in it for like, the first scene. And I think, he, I don't know if he comes back up in an, later in the film, but like, he's also, and I don't know. It was just, it's a, it was a fun film. It's also really way too long. Um, yeah. That's why I never but, watched it. It was like, it was good, but it was like so long. And I um, mean, the, in, the ending scene is cool. The, the historically inaccurate ending. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's cool, but I don't know. I mean, you're, 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 you're taking a revision, a revisionist pen to, probably the most influential thing in our in our in our world's history world war Two, and I, I don't know I, i'm not saying i have a problem with that i just don't know that it works for me again and again i really like the whole the whole like the 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 movie is it the, the movie theater or the the this that story with you know diane is it diane kruger that she's like uh i always forget if it's her or the other uh woman in the movie um but like how they're like they use the theater to like to, to to do this the the kill hitler and uh i thought it was great and then the end of the, the end of, end of the film like when they like when they put a 
swastika and Christoph Watt's head is awesome too. So I don't know. There's this. No, there's there's some cool stuff in it. There is. What is your favorite? I, what's your favorite other than Reservoir Dogs? Yeah, it's it's tough, isn't it? Like I <laughs> and I, it doesn't it doesn't. I mean, I love From Dust Till Dawn and I love True Romance, but he didn't direct those, so I don't know if I can count those. I think if I if I had to say my my favorite other movie that he directed, I would probably have to say Kill Bill Volume One because it was. I felt like you knew exactly what you were getting with Kill Bill Volume One. Yeah, there was none of the. There was none of the mommy stuff at the end, and it, the whole movie was like a comic book. The whole first film was like a comic book, and I thought it was really fun and well executed. And Uma Thurman was sort of like this, you know, kind of badass samurai chick, you know, who came back from the dead to wreak havoc and all these people that like killed her. And I thought like some of the bad guys were really cool, like uh, Lucy Liu and Daryl Hannah. Like I, I thought they were just really cool. And I know you don't see a lot of Daryl Hannah in Volume One, but but still. The, the first one I felt was like a really good example of what he can do when he doesn't take himself too seriously because he always ends up taking things too seriously. And I felt like Kill Bill Volume 2 was, was – the first half of it was fine when he was, she was like fighting Michael Madsen and Daryl Hannah. But the second half of Kill Bill Volume 2 was like, okay, now he's getting into all the preachy shit. Like I don't know. It, it didn't work for me. I never want to rewatch Volume 2, but I'll rewatch Volume 1. So I with, – with the caveat that it has to be a film that he wrote and directed, I think Kill Bill Volume 1 – is my next favorite. I I, I like I, I like Kill Bill Volume One a lot. Like I saw it moving to theaters, and I thought it was, I thought it was really fun. And then Kill Bill Volume Two came out, and I thought that was the most boring movie. I was just like, how can you go from watch? How can you go from Kill Bill Volume One to being Kill Bill Volume Two? And like, it's just I I know like what he's trying to do. He's trying to like make two different two different genre movies and put them into like. It, you know, he's trying to do a lot of different things, but I just, I was so bored. I even felt, I fell asleep during volume two when I saw it in the theaters. Like that's how b- boring it was yeah. for me. And it, I think how bad volume two is for me is why, why it taints volume one so much. Um, totally. I have that opinion of the matrix. Like it's really hard for me to like the matrix because parts two and three were just so terrible. Yeah. I like, and I know the part one's still good. I even recently watched it. I was like, yeah, it's still pretty good. But I don't know. It just it taints the whole uh, ambiance of it. Nothing like nothing like that damn Grindhouse movie though. Death Proof to me that's his all time worst movie. Yeah, that I remember. I think we went and saw it together in the theater. Uh, Did we? Was it Northtown? Yeah, Northtown. And I, wasn't it like we went and saw it it's early? Like a late showing, we, right? Well, we saw. It. Didn't we get to see a special screening of it? Like I feel Maybe. like I think we. Went oh and yeah, saw we it. no, we did, we did, yeah. And I um, remember like we were with Luke. And we, were, I was bitching so much about that that damn Tarantino one, and I. To you this were. Day, I remember. I actually. That that is one thing I really remember about it is because like we had we had the whole Planet Terror was awesome, and then the second the second part came out, and everyone was more. I think everyone was a lot more excited for the Death Proof part because it was Tarantino, and everyone's so excited about Tarantino. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it was. It was just like very. It was just, yeah, I don't know. It was boring. You remember me like going off. But I remember you, I remember you probably like, probably like nudging me and being, or like saying like, this sucks. This is awful. And I think Nate was like our other friend, Nate, who's really, he, he, you know, he's very judgmental in movies. And I think he didn't like death proof either. And like, I was probably like, oh, this is fun. Like whatever. Who cares? And, uh, oh man, I really didn't like it. 
that's how I am about the Matrix sequels. Like I was such a humongous fan of Matrix, and then the the sequels came out, and I was just in denial, and I just like I had to love them because it was like it was a Matrix. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember we were in newspaper at the time, and I like wrote a review about how much Part Two sucked for our college newspaper, and you were like, "What are you talking about? It sucked. It was so good." I remember, you know, you you couldn't understand yeah. why I didn't like it, but. Uh, <laughs> I forgive. I forgive. But you we can do Matrix someday because that's uh, that's ninety nine. So uh, yeah, we'll do Matrix. We, we haven't done any. We haven't done any later ninety um, stuff things yet. I don't. I don't think. Um, so, <laughs> well, uh, a podcast goal then. So, um, I, I think that about wraps her up. Um, we stay tuned for our next show. We're going to be covering a video game. We uh, haven't really decided on what that'll be, but our next show will be a video game. Um, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up for you guys. Please subscribe to our podcast. Please give us those five-star reviews on iTunes. It really helps our search parameters, helps us get more exposure to people that have never heard of us. Please keep listening and interacting with us. You know, our Twitter handles, Brennan mentioned them. You can email the show at super nineties brothers at gmail.com all spelled out. Is there anything else you want to add on that, man? Yeah. Um, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook. Um, Twitter is at super nineties brothers. It's super 90s numerical numerically and then brothers shortened um if you want to find us on twitter um and uh yeah find us on facebook just by searching super 90s brothers um other than that yeah i'm uh have a good weekend all right cool man for uh brennan pointer this is adam j pitzler this has been another sensational installment of super 90s brothers we hope you all have an awesome week keep listening to us interacting with us we'll hear from you guys soon we'll talk to you later peace